Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. Welcome to 28 Days Later. No. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to That's Not Metal, your weekly dose Uh. of all things rock, metal, hardcore and punk. Uh, This is, I'm Bees, he's Perrin, he's Ryan. This is the bit where, jovially, I usually go, what's been going on in your world? Um, It doesn't feel like the right tone this week. So, coming up on today's show... We are going to be reviewing the new album from Code Orange. It's called Underneath. We're also going to be looking at new albums from Body Count and Video Nasties. There's no album club this week because, my God, the first part of this podcast might take a little bit of a while. Um, Lads, do you mind if I just rip straight into this? Go for it. No better time. Right. Um, So, it's been really difficult to concentrate on this week's That's Not Metal, I have to be honest, because um, mm. we always on this show have had a policy to try and kind of be escapism for everybody. And yet mm. this week, uh, the real world has bled into everything that we cover on this show. We're of course, talking about coronavirus and everything that's going on. It has been an absolute fucking devastator to watch pretty much everybody that I know be affected by this. Um, Gents, where should we even start with this? I mean, yeah, I mean, first off, like, this is insane, isn't it? Like, we've not really seen anything like this. It's a weird one, isn't it? Like, even having to talk about this is so surreal um, to talk about, hey, what are the effects that this pandemic is having on the thing we know and love and have always had around? Do you know what I mean? It feels like a real watershed moment on the shit you take for granted day to day. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's a starting point, but that's <laughs> I <guess>, some feelings. <laughs> I, I guess like uh, the way that this affects everyone is because you are seeing shows being cancelled left, right and centre. Um, bands stand to lose a lot of money. Um, but in the case of things that I, I've got mates who are on the lighting crew and that are one of the merch yeah. people and all the yeah. rest of it, this is hitting fucking everybody that is in association with music whatsoever. To put it into perspective, fucking Live Nation um, lost $1.8 billion in stock revenue in one day. So if that's happening to them, you can imagine what it's doing to, I don't know, fucking Lotus Eater. Yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, very sort of personal connection to this one because it is genuinely the thing I do for my day job is working in... Talk about it. Working in live music. And, um, 
yeah, today has been, I mean, the last few, you know, last week I was printing out, um, like, coronavirus safety precaution notices, and that felt a bit weird. Um, you fast forward seven days and it's turned into the most chaotic workload I've ever had in my life where it is all hands on deck for everyone because there's a very real chance that we might be about to lose two months out of our calendar if if things don't go well. Um, and, you know, for an independent venue, um, that is a hell of a loss of trade, especially when, you know, I mean, I've just started there, you know, Ven venues like mine like ones i've worked at in the past like so many others that are trying to grow their business in an already kind of competitive and a quite brutal market when especially when you look at london rents and you know everyone wants to turn everything into flats so you're up against that um yeah it is an existential time for for people on every kind of rung of this ladder i mean perrin like this is changing on a daily basis, right? This might be out of date by the time that we put yeah. this out and, like, this is coming out a couple yeah. of hours after we record. Um, when you look forward to something like festival season, um, do we imagine that there will be a festival season in 2020? Yeah, it, that's such a hard thing to call because everyone is kind of... Uh, you know taking it one day at a time and you know we're seeing like we're recording this obviously uh thursday night um today has been a constant stream of bands cancelling tours mostly that are happening within the coming weeks you know this is not uh we've not reached you know june july august yet yeah um and i guess all of that hinges on you know the immediate response of authorities and stuff in the coming weeks you know on a larger level than just us um, to actually contain the thing and it, it i would say that the survival of you know the summer uh, events and, and that stream of revenue for everyone and all of that um depends on these coming weeks um you know the next month or so in regards to how well um something like this can actually be contained and the spread can be stopped it, you know if, if that does not go well then i would certainly anticipate it to be affected but i think in regards to looking forward to festival season i would say that you know, I saw that, you know, um, as an example, uh, the, uh, the organisers of Bloodstock today, uh, literally about an hour ago, they did a little um, uh, video feed update thing. And they basically said, you know, as of right now, you know, obviously Bloodstock happens in August. We're some months away yet. They're saying as of right now, Bloodstock is going ahead. Um, and I would imagine that that is a kind of, I think Slam Dunk also said, you know, that's much closer. May Slam Dunk also said that um, as it stands... They do not plan on cancellations, but that something that can be affecting there is if, you know, uh, larger kind of, you know, authority responses is to put a, like a larger ban on, you know, events of a certain size going ahead, in which case they will have mm. no choice but to comply and those kind of things. All of these color, kind of... Colour me sceptical when it comes to slam dunk going ahead. Yeah, that, that is That's soon, in like seven know, weeks. For sure, yeah. <laughs> like... I, I would certainly be more um, concerned about that one than I would be about a bloodstock at the moment. You know, yeah. perhaps, you know, the August festivals might end up being affected by this again. You know, it all depends on the coming thing you know like i said today it's just been a constant stream of cancellations and stuff for things in the immediate future and everyone's sort of uh you know like ryan was saying whether you're working in a venue whether you're just someone trying to help out on the sidelines or whatever you know um everyone's sort of all hands on deck to mitigate kind of the damage of these things in a very immediate capacity 
Absolutely. Like, I'm really sorry to open this podcast in such a bleak fashion, but it would be... It is the news this week. It it would be ridiculous to be going, so Power Tripper back in the studio. Like, um, (laughs) do, do we think that this is going to have a direct impact on the mortality of bands? I don't mean in terms of band members dropping dead. I mean in terms of... Yeah, 3.4% of... (laughs) (laughs) Like, what I'm saying is, like, it is very, very, very hard to be in a band and make a living off of it in 2020. And the only way that these bands are able to keep going is by touring. When you cut that out, it's all well and good going, well, streaming will be up. Well, that might help fucking Lewis Capaldi, but I'm not sure that that is going to help fucking Thy Art Is Murder. No, that 12 quid will not go quite very far, will it? Um, (laughs) No, not at all. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, on a sort of close-to-home band situation, Spans Love Songs basically just wrote a record about how hard it is to exist financially when you're in a band. Um, mm-hmm. And that record's very fucking good, and I'm worried they're not going to get to tour it in the immediate future, and if they can't tour it in the immediate future, they don't, you know, their projections for how they're going to do this entire album cycle will be based tour-to-tour on budget. This throws a mass- massive spanner in that works. Like... I don't want to say necessarily like, you know, we should be fearing that every band is about to break up and everything else. Um, again, you know, the severity of it kind of depends on how well contained all of this becomes and how long it lasts. Um, but certainly the trajectory of every band not funded by a major label with business insurance out the fucking arse is going to be really hurt by this. Yeah. To say the very least, like, I I think that it's, we're going to do something in the coming days. There will be another podcast coming from That's Not Metal that will be a bit more in depth about how you can help. Because lots of people, quite rightly, quite nobly, um, I wouldn't expect anything less from the sort of people that listen to this show anyway, but are actively like, how can we help? How can mm. we stop having to have this discussion? What can we do? Um, I saw someone quite brilliantly saying, "If you have got tickets for a show and it's going uh, and it's not being rescheduled, you're being refunded. Maybe buy a shirt." Yeah, precisely that kind of stuff. I mean, um, myself and Ryan, we've been putting together a uh, something that we're going to put in the description for the the show this week. Is we're we're putting together a little bit of a spreadsheet. Um, essentially of bands uh, and artists and stuff who have had tours affected by, you know, that's what I've spent my previous hour doing is I've been scrolling through these updates and stuff, adding them onto the spreadsheet. Um, you know, it, I you know I don't work in a venue or anything like that. I'm not kind of immediately on the front lines of it, but th- that was my attempt at doing my bit in the moment. Um, and I think that, you know, we're going to put that out there and very, very, um, I think it is very crucial, obviously, that like, a lot of bands, you know, for example, tours that are being cancelled that were meant to go ahead over literally like the next couple of weeks and stuff. Bands have got uh, tour much printed for it that is now, you know, that stuff is not going ahead now. But mm. plenty of bands, you know, examples off of my head, like, you know, I think uh, Anathema said that they've done this. Um, the the now 
re- very recently cancelled Decibel tour that was going to go out with Idle Hands and, yeah. and Mayhem and Gate Creeper and those kind of bands. Um, a lot of these bands are saying that you know, obviously we've we've got tour much printed. We're going to be kind of uploading, you know, our our stocks of it now on you know onto our our sites yeah. when we have the chance. It would be, you know, it would be an incredible help if if you could like get this off our hands essentially because we're not going to be able to do it you know in the way that was intended um i think that when it comes to you know when you talk about the mortality of bands and that kind of stuff um is i would certainly say that you know whether you're saying you know know, this is going to break up a lot of bands maybe that's jumping to a little bit too extreme right now but there's certainly there's going to be i think a lot of bands are going to be ceasing immediate actions for the next you know coming months like you know whatever tours or anything would have been on hold essentially band activities are going to come to a halt so well you know hiatuses of some kind whether that's for months or longer like mm. um everything's going to come to that kind of standstill and and when it comes to uh precisely you know rallying around around kind of the community in the scene you know it, it, i saw someone else say that you know um precisely what you were saying about about uh refunds and that kind of stuff um maybe you know if if it is possible maybe consider and you whether it's buying merch or something like that maybe consider basically letting them have that money as essentially in order to mm. uh you know everyone has to step in and support the community yeah big time mm. and the thing is I, I wish i was saying something extreme a manager who i know I won't say what bands he manages, but let's just say a decent to mid-sized band, uh, yeah. like bigger than any band that we are covering on this week's show, um, was telling me that if a tour gets cancelled, he might go bankrupt. So this yeah. is no fucking joke across yeah. the board, right? Managers, booking agents, um, you know, obviously yeah. like people who who work in uh, media and everything like that, because it, everything kind of even though like you've got to remember it's like it, it even trickles down to then uh, like businesses that in our like that are in and around venues like bars and like local uh you know food places or whatever like everything that kind of takes an uptick when there is a show happening now does not have that yeah and like it, it, stepping in to control <clears throat> that and, and fill that void yeah like we employ at my work 12 cleaners for every show we have do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Jesus. That's 12 people that are losing crucial shifts that I'm sure they need. You know, like this trickle downs, trickles down to every single level. So like one of the things um, with it that I really want to impress here is like perspective on all of it. Um, you know, it, it sucks to have like shows cancelled and everything else. But like, please take a minute to think before kicking off at a venue or a promoter or anything else. Like, And I, and, like, I don't really talk about it too much on this because crossing the streams and that but i also book shows as a promoter and like i've got shows coming up that are like 500 cap shows that i'm well excited for that i that are completely like up in the air like and those those things are things that have sunken cost like and you know i'm doing it on a, i'm lucky enough to do it on a level where i kind of do it as a hobby i pick and choose there are independent promoters out there who put on some of the best shows in your cities who are going to be absolutely fucked off the back of this um so if they have any shows later in the year that aren't cancelled as well pick up tickets for those like just support in any way you can essentially like it is i don't know no one else is going to look after us are they 
No, hell no, they're not. And so keep an eye on That's Not Metal's social media. I'm talking about the main Facebook, the focus group, the, the Twitter, the Instagram, at Not Metal Pod. We are going to be constantly updating that in ways that you can help bands. Mm. Uh, and do look in the description for this for an overall spreadsheet of who is in immediate, in, who is in the shit in the immediate mm. future. Uh, right, okay, cool. On with the show then, all right? Let's park that for fucking an hour or so. Um, so Power Trip are back in the studio, but they are also in the studio with Arthur Rizik, which um, Perrin and I might as well take our tops off and cover ourselves in Gatorade. Yeah, I didn't, ex- like, that's basically confirming exactly what I expected anyway. I, I could not see Power Trip going to studio with anyone but Arthur Rizik again, because he is the perfect guy to make them sound like that. Yeah. I mean, if you ask me what is the best sounding metal record of the last couple of years, that will be my instant first draft pick. It's so funny. I was stood... God, this makes me sound such a twat. Sorry. Um, I was stood stood side stage with a bunch of people in bands. I know, I know. It's because I I had somewhere to go fast afterwards. So I was stood there with a bunch of people in bands when Power Trip started. And when that guitar tone starts, the amount of everyone looking at each other going, fuck me, when it starts. Um, Yeah, very, very excited about new Power Trip. I think they've done a brilliant job of remaining active and relevant and all of those things. Yeah. Um, Despite the fact that it's been, what, three years since their logic? over three years now i think it was february and it, we're going to talk later when it comes to uh like body count uh reviewing that up we're going to talk about power trip again in a, in a brief capacity and one of the things when i was listening to that album i was like it's cool that power trip are now such an established name that riley can just show up on a body count song and you go like yeah that makes sense and like yeah. there's no kind of like oh wow small band type type thing like it's just he's just a face now absolutely and uh, i think it helps that the kind of tours that they've been on they are on the currently scheduled Lamb of God tour in the UK in April, but we'll see what happens with that. Um, Jerry Cantrell is in the studio for an upcoming solo album. I am going to stand by my prediction in January that it will be very interesting to see if Greg Pusciato, who has also got his album coming out Mm. soon, is involved in that record in some way, shape or form because he was involved in the recent live show here Mm. in LA. (sighs) Wonderful thoughts. Uh, Triptychon have announced Requiem Orchestral Live Album for May. Containing the news this week, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) it's the most important announcement i'm sorry Uh, danzig has announced two elvis covers show the tickets are 170 dollars will not be going uh (laughs) biffy clyro has announced have announced a uk arena tour for september and october uh paolo from trivium and lee from the lost prophets were involved in a pretty brutal twitter spat if you don't know what i'm talking about Probably best to avoid it, because I'm not sure anyone came out great. Um, Lee had an unnecessary pop about Trivium. When you're in the Lost Prophets, you can imagine what the retort was. (laughs) Um, And Tony Iommi says that Michael Bolton, he of Davy Jones' giant squid fame, auditioned to be in Black Sabbath. So the thing is, right... Yeah. Michael Michael Bolton on the Hercules soundtrack is fucking unreal. 
And that is all I have to say on the matter. Michael Bolton turning up at the end of the Lonely Island movie is one of the most <laughs> yeah. joy-inducing moments in any <laughs> moment in cinematic history. I was off the sofa celebrations when he turned up. It's like Arsenal. Would I'm sure you would have the exact same feeling if he turns up singing War Pigs. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Why not? Um, so... Uh, that's on metal.net is the place to go and check out all things uh, premium £5 a month and £25 a year we've just finished our system of a down special it's five plus hours about all things system of a down and the solo records and their future and tours and the reunion tours it's everything you could ever wish to know about all things system of a down we recently did a nine inch nail special as well and if you've got loads of time on your hands now there's never been a better time to sign up five pounds a month or 25 pounds a year that's not metal.net at not metal pod is the place to get us on instagram and twitter okay sam cowan asks the first question this week which is what are your favorite songs that never get played live i'm personally gutted that the menzingers don't play where your heartache exists anymore big tune sam cowan yeah the, the menzingers are are on thin ice with their with their setlist selection at the moment, they have been omitting that and also Casey, which is like top five Menzinger's song. Um, especially when you're making room for a Clash cover, just play your own really, really, really good songs, you idiot. <laughs> um, Paramore not playing Misery Business anymore is a weird one as well. Like I get the reasons, one hundred percent, but I also get a really good feeling when I hear that song. <laughs> and I and I want it selfish. I you know all the preaching about selflessness when it comes to bands and everything else. Like ten minutes ago, just play your <laughs> business. It's good. <laughs> yeah, very fair. Kiss don't play. God gave rock and roll to you or crazy crazy nights. What the hell is that crazy, about? Crazy nights. It's madness, isn't it? What? Absolutely. That's one of like the small handful of Kiss songs I can name. Well, <laughs> they, they do not play it, and that is an absolute scandal. Tall. No longer play Lateralis, which yeah, again, that is absolutely scandalous. Uh, the the last ever Slayer show, I came out of like saying uh, they could easily have played another hour and a half worth of material that um, I was I would be well up for them playing. And um, Guns and Roses don't play Think About You, which is another big one. Yeah, on the Slayer front, I I remember like I was totally cool with ba them basically playing anything, and like the set lists were fucking killer. Um, but I did notice that that on that whole final run, they did not play any of the kind of deeper cuts from Rain and Blood. Like it was Angel of Death, Raining Blood, and Postmortem as well. Um, but all that kind of like that large mid body of the album, which is full of like absolute classics, but not quite the kind of household name ones like that bookend it but largely mm. omitted. Um, Megadeth, I've always thought that My Last Words from P-Cells is like one of their very best songs ever. And I could not tell you how many times I've ever played it. Like it's a total non-entity when it comes to their set list, even though it's fucking brilliant. Um, a similar one that I've mentioned before, particularly loving is um, Circle of Sisquatch by Mastodon, which yeah, is great shout. a ridiculously brilliant song that like, in the live environment, it seems so built for savagery. Yeah, but I've I mean, so, sorry, on. Mastodon turn up to shows and don't play fucking Curl of the Bird and Black Tongue. 
Do you know what I mean? Like, Mastodon do not give a fuck what you want. <laughs> I've seen Clutch so many times. So many. And I'm still yet to see him play Subtle Hustle. And then I saw they played it on their UK tour that they just did. I was like, you motherfuckers waiting for me <laughs> to move to the other side of the world. And spoiler, but we are doing the Wild Hearts on Album Club. Yeah, we are. Next week. Um, and my favourite ever wild art song is a somewhat obscure b-side called weekend five long days uh and i see them play it once and i lost my shit in such spectacular that's fashion. not a weekend at all so it doesn't know but that's uh i guess it is when you take all of the drugs um <laughs> so yeah yeah wild art's gonna be album club next week good question though sam next question James Bentley says, in o- in honour of the new Code Orange and also the Video Nasties album that we're going to be doing later, actually. Which uh, samples the exact movie he then refers to in this question. Oh, amazing. Right. <laughs> he says, uh, best use of a sample in one of our world's tracks. I'm going for all of Cathedral's Witchfinder general samples in Hopkins. The samples are such an integral part of the song. I can't imagine it without them. Yeah, that is one of the best answers. Um, I, I, like, I immediately, my mind springs to like the entire Mortician back catalogue, seeing as about 50% of their recorded tracks are made up of samples and stuff like that. You just can't avoid them. Um, I think my favourite one is, there's an aborted song. Um, it's called, uh, it's, I think it's called Nailed Through Her Cunt. Sorry, everyone. Um, and For fuck's sake. What's it about? But, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but the sample, um, I, the reason I love it so much is because it, it's integrated into like the rhythm of the riff, which is always the best one when it yeah. actually feels like it makes up a part of the song. Where the the riff goes, uh, it it's I think it's from Hellraiser two. Um, it's the the line is um, your suffering will be legendary even in hell, and it goes your suffering will be legendary, dun dun, even in hell, dun 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 dun, and it's just like <laughs> completely integrated into the rhythm of the riff, which just makes it that a little bit harder. You know, sick by Slipknot is a great example of that type thing as well. Yeah, uh, the Carlitos way, here comes the pain, is so fucking good. Um, I've always got a bit of a boner for White Zombie's electric head, the opening. I just sit up yours, baby. Riff. So, (laughs) so good. And um, something complete, kind of left of centre, be warned, uh, Perrin and Ryan, I might put the Smart Death album uh, in the running order when it comes later this year but epitaph signed a weird kind of emo rap outfit called smart death it doesn't mm-hmm. do much for me but like uh i think it's a look into our futures um and there's a song called i don't feel anything that starts with um a bit from harold and kumar go to white castle the i'm so high right now i couldn't i I, like i don't think anything could hurt me where like the guy the kid then like blows his brains out yeah (laughs) it uses that it's really really good um yeah like mine aren't as intense but the that whole emo revival wave was perfect for these um there's this band called snowing um who kind of i think it was throughout an entire record just chucked in um quotes from freaks and geeks it's actually how i found out about that show um, so I've always kind of got a soft spot for that because I now love that show. Um, there's yeah. a band called Marietta who kind of 
I mean, this says everything, but their kind of most famous um, thing they did was a split with modern baseball before modern baseball were big. Um, but they they used quotes from the American version of The Office really, really well. Um, and like kind of on the inverse, I don't know if I've mentioned it on the show before, but um, Kano using the Warpigs riff on his first record, I can't remember what song it is, um, is such a good use of Sabbath in a non-rock song. It's fucking sick. Right. Good question, James. Uh, final question. Adam Walker asks, funniest cock-up you've ever seen at a live show? Like, I haven't got a whole load of these because I kind of... A lot of the bands a lot of the bands I really like, I kind of don't expect them to be very good yet, um, given, <laughs> <laughs> given the rooms they're playing. Um, but... One of my favourites ever, just for the way it was styled out, was Laura Jane Grace completely forgetting the lyrics to um, Transgender Dysphoria Blues at um, in Gainesville at Fest, and completely just not even trying to roll with it, just kind of laughing it off and like going into it. It was such a kind of first thing in the set on this like homecoming show that felt like such oh, a big mate. big deal to everyone <laughs> there. But it was such a like good 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 vibe that that happening right right at the start of it kind of didn't even like break anyone's stride it was wicked (laughs) marijuana may have been part of this uh (laughs) oh yeah maybe (laughs) going by laura jane's uh social media use yeah i was um literally last week i was at a visigoth show uh and the singer forgot the words to one of the songs like it was literally the very final song of the set and he got through it all and fucked up at the last minute and it was just like it's just one of those endearing moments when everybody on stage starts giggling. Um, <laughs> like I think the f- the funniest one that comes to mind for me is I've spoken about this before. It was at Bloodstock um, a couple of years ago when Amaranth had like the worst technical difficulties and couldn't start their set, and their like big hairy bassist basically went out to the front of the stage and did a sort of impromptu like ten minute stand up comedy set while they were waiting for like the technical dish, uh, difficulties to go past and it, he was so like uh, unprepared that it just like the awkwardness of the entire thing just made everything hysterical my personal favorite of these is this isn't really a cock up but um i once uh, yelled at isan from the front row that he had a set list stuck to his foot because <laughs> he he'd spent about three consecutive songs walking around stage with this set list stuck to his foot and it was driving me mental and i had to wait <laughs> For the gap between like the two songs to finish for me to go you've got a set list stuck to your foot at which point he looked down and removed it so that's kind of a <laughs> Uh, a very shit claim to fame for me. Uh, I've spoken about my favourite one loads of times, which is the kid during Papa Roach's first UK show, where he went to stage, he went to stage dive and took a, an extra yard too far and fell face first into the <laughs> photography flip. So I'll talk about one that obviously I wasn't at, but I was too because I was too young. But one of my friends went to see. <laughs> Went to see Ozzy Osbourne in Liverpool, of all places, in the 80s. So you can imagine how compassionate the crowd will have been to this, right? So (laughs) Ozzy starts Mr Crowley, first song, right? And he comes down from the ceiling in a in a throne so bell 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 down he comes only it gets stuck and the crowd, <laughs> the 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 the, uh, the throne is fucking suspended in midair. The curtain shut. 
It waits five minutes, and the curtains open again, and he's not there. Bell, 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 and he comes down again. They didn't even just go, oh, fuck it. Like, they made him do it again to the uh, amusement of thousands of scousers laughing in the general direction (laughs) of the Prince of Darkness. Good times. Um, So, here we go, then. Album reviews start this week with Code Orange's Underneath. It is the fourth studio album from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania's Code Orange. The album arrives to much fanfare. Um, If you've spent any time on social media recently, you will doubtlessly have seen that this is the first album to be given 10 out of 10 by Metal Hammer since Iron Maiden climbed like monkeys on their last album. Um, yeah, 5Ks in Kerrang! and elsewhere, but to point at them for there being a tidal wave of hype for this record would be disingenuous, I feel, because this show has raved about Code Orange since its inception, ramping that up with the release of their last album, Forever. Since then, the band have been mentioned pretty much every week in some capacity, and that album had such impact that we often talk about a certain corner of heavy music in a post-forever landscape. Mm. Uh, With this album, the mission statement isn't just about taking a corner of heavy music, it's about taking the whole thing. Lads, just because this is our show and we don't have our narrative dictated to us by any band or other outlet... Um, and I do like to credit everyone who listens to this show with being able to understand balance and nuance... I have to ask you what I think is possibly the stupidest question I have ever asked anyone in my entire broadcast career, but roll with me on this. Does this album have to be the best audio ever created in the history of recorded sound to be good, or can it be good without being the best album created in the world ever, ever, ever? I think there is middle ground between shit and not worth your time and the best thing to ever happen to noise yeah i like to think so i like to think so um let's go through the overwhelming amount of positives about this record first um i have been like a fucking magpie on this release i have really i have read every fucking thing going um (laughs) And one of the main things that I think Code Orange have spoken about that they have landed on is one of the biggest statements that they've made, which is I think that the ambition on this album and the want to push heavy music into new and more relevant territories sees them somewhat in a world of their own. I think if that was an ambition on this record that pretty much puts them at the top of the pile. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I think that um, f- obviously Forever, when it came out, was one of the major things that made everyone so excited about Forever. Um, was the initial shock of it. And then it was over the coming weeks, months, years, getting inside it and getting to grips with uh, everyone to the point that, you know, I've said it a few times that like the first time I listened to Forever... I was completely like baffled and, and thrown around by what I was hearing. Um, and then 
the process of getting inside it and becoming part of that like you know just tornado of violence um was one of the most kind of just generally um fulfilling and gratifying kind of musical experiences of the past however many years um i think i'm right in saying that it was the only album that all three of us had in our albums of the decade um mm. yeah which like you know for our kind of crossover is is noteworthy um and one of the things about this album is that when you make a record like forever that does that um and then as you know as you mentioned in the years following a lot of those tricks get picked up by other bands oh yeah um you know executing them to varying degrees of competency um and essentially, like, even with Code Orange not releasing an album between now and then, the only new music we've had has been, like, a couple of tracks here and there, um, which they did a pretty decent job of, like, you know, a constant kind of a steady stream of stuff to make sure that, you know, their name was always on the tips of tongues. Um, it, didn't, but- it didn't harm them that I, I love Forever so deeply and yet, I think the best song that they've written to this day is Three Knives. Like, Mm. that didn't harm. I think that did a really good job of bridging the gap between Forever and where we're going on underneath. Yeah. Um, But when you release an album that has that effect on people and then the world takes it on like that, um, one of the things that I was curious about going into this album was if it would surprise me, essentially, because... You've, you've shown your hand, you've shown your tricks on a record like Forever and everyone else has nicked them. Um, mm. Can, you know, bands can only reinvent themselves so many times. Um, and there are so many, you know, calling cards of Forever that I was sort of expecting to show up here in some capacity. And one of the things that I find the most thrilling about this was that the first time I pressed play on this album, it took me off guard and it shocked me in a capacity beyond what I was perhaps even expecting. And that speaks to what you are saying about the the ambition and the fact that they are continuing mm. to take their sounds, their different kind of ideas that they're incorporating into um, hardcore and, and industrial and metal and all these ideas and melding them in a way that as time goes on is becoming continually more and more ambitious and unique and totally of themselves yeah like for, for me the, the kind of the thing that comes of the ambition and everything else like code orange everything they do feels like part of you know getting the code orange manifesto heard by the entire world um and you know the ambition that kind of comes with that is to do that in the most uncompromising way possible and you know when you look at um what happened on forever and where it went and you know almost winning a grammy there's Part, there's part of you that expects a band to go, well, we'll make sure we get that fucking Grammy next time and put out something that would be more likely to achieve it than the last record might have, right? Um, you know, Jamie was not shy about saying they wanted to win that fucking Grammy. But this mm. record is not... Um, I don't think it leans that way at all. I think that the thing that I am most impressed by, kind of like with Perrin, was that they found a way to reaffirm that feeling of Code Orange's calling card being not knowing what to expect on a record. Like, that that being reaffirmed and kind of um, reinforced by just how mental, well, we'll get into it, but how mental this record is from second to second, if not song to song. It reminds me a lot 
Um, see, I didn't... Ex- it's funny, as time went on, and particularly with The Hunt and Three Knives coming out, um, I didn't ever expect them to build on Bleeding in the Blur and Ugly, like, uh, in the same way as when Iowa turned up by Slipknot. Um, that was a game-changing moment in heavy music where a band had real success with a sound and doubled down on making it far more apocalyptic. And this is a far more chaotic and apocalyptic album than Forever. It makes Forever Mm. sound distinctly less menacing, this album. And when they, and that's really saying something, um, when they get the additional tricks right, there are some fucking incredible moments on this. Like, I mentioned it when we did the review of Swallowing the Rabbit Hole, I think it was. No, was Mm. it? No, it was Underneath, wasn't it? When Mm. we spoke about Underneath, um, I was saying a lot about the ASMR-type feel in amongst the, uh, the headphones. When you've got really good... The better your headphones are the more you will get out of this record. Um, But there is a lot to be said for that ASMR trickery that has become such a a purposeful thing in the world of popular music and has been incorporated here. Um, It's not necessarily something that is unique. I mean, Perry Farrell's last record was mixed binaurally. We heard it on the Hayley Williams single. There was loads yeah. of this shit going on. Um, but I mean, Billie Eilish this... has kind of broken the dam on there, hasn't she? But that's it. That's what, <clears throat> like, hearing that principle applied to apocalyptic music is yeah. what sets Code Orange apart. And in Swallowing the Rabbit Hole, when those fucking breaking glass moments go off in your headphones, yeah. sounding like fucking Stone Cold Steve Austin is about to burst through the speakers with a fucking case of Budweiser, that is <laughs> exhilarating. That is what the fuck is up. There are moments on this record when that shit gets it so right um yeah i think that is perhaps the thing when we talk about the ambition and then like the the overall arching statement of this will be the most relevant thing culturally that you hear in heavy music that mission statement that's being put about by code Mm. orange i think that is perhaps the most poignant one of those yeah and i think it's you know Trying to descri- trying to describe Code Orange by talking about their music is incredibly difficult. They they make it harder and harder on each record too. Um, but there was a bluntness to Forever that has turned into a real fucking sharpness on here with with some of those tools. Where Forever, um, it was almost ridiculous and surprising the amount of times that album chose to kind of jump scare and bludgeon you. Like that yeah. that was that was the two the two physical reactions that you got from that. This, uh, like, that ASMR thing that comes into it, all over this record, there are scratching noises that's, that kind of set your back up. There are, like, crackling noises. There are, there are so many layers of impending doom and violence throughout this record that reveal itself as, as it goes on and on and on. Like, this is a record that we've been listening to for a little while now. Um, just, for, just for complete clarification, we've had this album for about two months. Yeah. Mm. Um... 
and you know we've we don't often do it but we've we've had to touch base on on this record every now and then like we you know how are you getting on with it kind of proper book club style like like how are you yeah. finding this and our opinions have evolved on it all the way through and um at the base of everything code orange said that they were gonna like push the boundaries of what they were doing and and kind of when when i was speaking to them about hardcore specifically in the past they were like that's not a box that we live in like we want to live in music that does that that does more than that in general and i think that when you've got a record that is as rewarding on repeat listens as this because of that like you can't get you can't hear everything on this record in one listen i don't think you could do it in 10 and we usually mean that about tool albums do you know mm. what i mean like yeah. th- that we're talking about a quote unquote hardcore band and saying that is just a, a credit to the like cinematic level of sound design there is on this album especially as this album is nearly 50 minutes long which for code orange standards like it's the first record they've ever had that's breached 40 like there is a noticeable leap in quantity here like aside from anything else um which for a band who like you know forever when i was listening to it for those first few times i was like I don't actually have perception of how long this record is. It could be anywhere between 50 and 20 because, like, it's such a whirlwind of just throwing me around, like like I said earlier, that kind of um, you sort of lose track of that sense of of time um, span like that. Um, And so to stretch it out and kind of go for something a little bit longer and maintain the way this does, the fact that it is right to the end, like, surprising you and, you know, left-hooking you and kind of... Um, every single track has different things going on to the one before it. Um, there is such a wealth of um, ideas and, and you know just just kind of inspired moments for on a second to second basis on a record uh, on, on a kind of on a level beyond uh, most records you'll hear this year. Mm. Do you think what's the significance of that extra ten minutes? I think that it allows them to, it, it gives them that extra space to flash out kind of the further things where this is such a, this is a a leap beyond what Forever was doing in terms of how much emphasis it puts on those non-hardcore elements of what yeah. Code Orange are. That's not to say that hard- hardcore is missing. It fucking isn't. This record is <laughs> devastatingly heavy. There are like proper like breakdowns and stuff that are like the swallowing the rabbit hole breakdown that you mentioned with the breaking glass stuff which also as an aside that is one of my favorite music video moments i can recall recently as well because of like the glass breaking and stuff around them it's just visually cool in the way that you know code orange think about those things like that um but that breakdown is one of the best breakdowns i've heard in fucking forever um and it's because of (laughs) (laughs) and it's because of the way it's cut up and like that, the way it is delivered and kind of served to you where the breakdown takes on different rhythmic identities as it's progressing and it is kind of chopped up and, and constantly throwing sounds at you like that, that offset it. And then that means that when it, you know, on it kind of its second go round, when it then locks into a steadier groove, it is the most like sledgehammer wrecking ball thing that you can imagine. So hardcore very much yeah. is still a hugely prominent detectable element of what code orange do but if forever was taking hardcore and uh, you know really uh 
tampering with the way that it can be delivered and the way it can be structured using those extra elements, um, then this piles on those elements even further. And, you know, to talk about that extra length, it means that there's just more space to toy with the different ways you can approach those things. Yeah, I do. Um, like, I, I do feel that as well that this is a band kind of who from their very inception have had a fuckload of creative ideas and have had a growing budget to implement those ideas. And I'm not surprised that there are 10 minutes more material on the follow-up to Forever. Do you know what I mean? For that reason alone, mm. like, this is a band with a lot of things that they want to do and kind of the bu budget and the, I guess, clout now to, to kind of say, well, we want to do all that on a record, let us do it. Um, so it's gonna. I think you know, there's every chance that every Code Orange record gets ten minutes longer with the more kind of power they get in creating kind of creative control and sway commercially or whatever else. Like the 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 more kind of the more of a platform they have, the more expansive their ideas are gonna be. All right, enough of this fence sitting bullshit. Um, Perrin, I've asked you privately before, but I have not asked you, Ryan. Um, yeah. How much do you like this record? I like it a hell of a lot now. Um, it took me a long time to get through the density of what this album is. Um, for, for, for everything that we've spoken about, something that kind of doesn't become apparent until you've listened to it a hell of a lot is how, you know, and it kind of gets taken for granted because everyone's going, well, what's the shiny new thing Code Orange are doing here? What's the... What's the um, new quirk they're putting on it? But the thing that I've fallen in love with is just how fucking good they are at the pure groove and power that is at the root of this record. That was um, kind of clouded in all of the other ideas going on for a long time. And I was almost I was almost distracted. Um, we're obviously going to have, have to have the is this better or not than forever conversation at some point. And what I will definitely say now is that it was nowhere near as immediate. And as, per and as Perrin was saying, um, forever's not, an, you know, forever's not, you get it on first listen and then you're inside the body of that too. You know, so to say that about this, it's, it's incredibly dense. Um, and it has taken me a while, but where I'm at with it now, I fucking love it. And I think that some of those, um bigger songs i i kind of did go into this looking for a looking for another bleeding in the blur like i wanted that moment that would push code orange over the edge you know it was kind of a all the will in the world as much as a me wanting it thing i don't think there is that on this record um but it does have sulfur surrounding which is maybe my favorite code orange song that they've done um, I was going to say like that if you're going to if you're looking for that kind of moment, even yeah. aside from the the title track, which obviously they released first and is a more melodic song, and I guess we'll touch on it later. But Sulfur Surrounding is that was where on my first listen, like I said, of being like aside from being bullied by most of the record, <laughs> um, when that turned up, it was yeah. holy shit in a different capacity. It's it's not the only it's not the only one either. Like um, who I am as well is like delivers. Mm. You know, again, it's not. It's not the kind of raucous outright banger factor you had with Bleeding in the Blur. We're talking about something different here. We're talking about a kind of expansion of what they do melodically rather than a kind of um, compounding of it and putting it into kind of the most effective package. It's th the, Those melodic moments here are more exploratory, I think, and I like them. Um, mm. But, but Sulfur Surrounding was definitely like a... I do wish there was another one or two more of these. 
on here where it just where it just kind of felt like everything just comes home at once and you can kind of ride the wave of hype along with this record because it's that kind of uplifting moment i do have to say i think reba sounds so much more confident on this record vocally like the the interesting the snarl on who i am Mm. like it's a it's it you feel the 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 kind of the the burgeoning rage within End that of autumn song. And Carbine for that as well. Yep. Yeah, oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, I think Reba is a massive part of this record when it comes to that. Um, I'll speak about the extensions of Bleeding in the Blur or not, as that may be, in a little bit. Um, Perrin, what else in terms of... Because you are also turbo keen on this record, correct? Yes, I completely adore it, basically. Like, I listened to it multiple times today, and I've gotten to the point where, like I said, on my first couple of listens, I was so thrilled and blown away by the fact that it had blown me away because I didn't know whether to go in expecting something that I was slightly more attuned to after three years of loving forever and having new songs turn up and that kind of thing. Um, and then I pressed play and was, like, the opening riff of, of um, uh, Swallowing the Rabbit Hole is like it's like the dillinger escape plan it's like car bomb it's like the level of what is going on here the actual unpredictability of it properly took me off guard and i think that that unpredictability is and it's not just in terms of violence but just that sentiment across it was something that um after those first couple of listens just like i did with forever getting inside them and and kind of feeling what is coming has proven so um gratifying as time has gone on um where there are so like i said on a second to second basis there are so many ideas that it throws at you and i think that that is something that has to be commended like when you are throwing and stuff where ryan's referring to um you know the grooves and and that kind of the primal power of it when last one's left comes in with that stomp Mm. and the way that every single kind of beat of it is accent by the chant that is one of those like uh, uh, just kind of a universally fucking brilliant like heavy music moment but those kind of and there's you know there's a part of the end of that song where it turns into a kind of a breakdown that's kind of accented by like cowboys from hell style like fretwork in terms of adding the like the digga like pure groove like yeah. that um but those kind of elements are in true code orange, uh, code orange fashion um like i said earlier chopped up and, and kind of i will say that you know if you are there are plenty of people out there who... Before before you move on from last one's left, it is one of the very very few moments on this record that sounds like traditionally big bands from Slipknot to Five Finger yeah. Death Punch. That stomp is universal. Yes, yeah. I was. I, what I was going to say is that um, there are loads of people out there who didn't like Forever, um, and there are. Uh, I've seen so many people over the course of you know, as soon as Code Orange became essentially the most hyped heavy band on the planet. You, and obviously you get so much of the kind of the people who aren't in on it really wanting to make their the fact that they're not in on it heard. Um, yeah. One John, of the things... John Cena, bear with me for a second. <laughs> John, John, John Cena on the CM Punk documentary, when Punk came from the indies and everyone was like, it's the hottest thing, you've got to see it, uh, made a very astute point where he says, when people do that, 
the instant reaction is to kind of go, eh, like, yeah. before it turns up. So I do, I understand that attitude, albeit not applicable for us, this record, because we've had it as long as everyone else has. Uh, yeah, and, and what I was going to say is that um, I know that a major reason why there are a lot of people out there who didn't vibe with Forever are those unorthodox kind of electronic touches and the way those songs are, you know, sliced into pieces and stuff like that. And the way, Good like, luck with this! Yeah, like, uh, if you are someone who heard, like, a, a song, a heavy song from Forever, and you were like, this is a good riff, why are you fucking with it like that and ruining the flow? Um, this record will, like, <laughs> cause your head to explode. Like, you will not have a good time with this. I'm warning you in advance. Like, if you, if you, I, like, the people out there, you know who you are. Like, mm. if that was your experience with Forever, do not go into this expecting it to be any kind of easier to those kind of sensibilities because it's fucking not. On the other end of the scale, someone like myself, I find those elements so exciting. And the way they have been ramped up here um, really adds to that level of uh, intricacy and, and kind of there's a, so much detail that comes into where some bands would write a big heavy riff and kind of let it sit like that. Code Orange will write that riff and then add so many elements to it in a way that makes it just so much more, like, again, interesting on a kind of minutia basis. Yeah, I think that lands us pretty much uh, a lot of the things that I have to say about it. There are some brilliantly thrilling moments on this record. Um, I do really like it. It took me a while. I thought it was all right when I first heard it, and then I think thought it was good, and now I think it's really, really good. Um, what I will say is that if they have, if this band has advanced commercial aspirations, which I am of the mind when you listen to any interview they've ever given, that they yeah. are, right? This band don't want to be Converge or the Dillinger Escape Plan or Every Time I Die. They don't want to be a career band in that corner of the world. They want to be Slipknot, right? Um... I would say that while there are moments that buck the trend on this, particularly, I think, um, the easy way with that, don't want to know, uh, like that hook yeah. is fucking wonderful. One of the common consensus things that I cannot hear that other people can is that this is in any way palatable with the mainstream. Because to me, in terms of commercial suicide, this is slitting both your wrists, putting your head in a noose, jumping off a chair and blowing your brains out with a shotgun. Um, yeah. Doesn't, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter because art and commerce are two different things. But I'm just pointing that out. When people say this is for the Coachella crowd, I live in California. I know who goes to Coachella. No, it isn't. All right. It just isn't. I asked you guys in the group chat about this. Uh, I was like, yeah. when people hear more commerce, like, I don't hear that at all. What, what, in what world is this more commercial? And Ryan, you nailed it by saying Mad Maxes. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing, though, isn't it? Is that. I completely hear, I completely hear what you're saying. Like that is what Code Orange um, pur purport to want in terms of in in terms of interviews and everything else. Um, I don't know that that the the vision that they have for it is 
relevant to to the way that things actually work um you know like like you're saying with that chant moment what you do there is you give yourself a shot a shot at being one of those bands because hey as much as we mock stuff that gets played on sports adverts those get all the fucking streaming numbers and those people get invited to play coachella like what well, yeah well they know that <laughs> they've got they've provided bray wyatt's music no, well, well aware what, of that. Yeah. No, but no, that's what I'm saying. Absolutely, but in terms of you know, those are the moments in in terms of that that you'd think Code Orange would lean on if that's what they wanted. But I think that what Code Orange, for as much as they might have commercial ambition, I think what they have more than ever, anything else is an ambition to not do things the way that anyone else has done it. And I don't know that those two things are can can go hand in hand. Um, and I, you know. I I don't mind I don't mind that as a listener um as someone who wants this back you know what I said about um the Code Orange records getting ten minutes longer if they get a bigger and bigger platform you want that to be able to happen you want this platform to grow right Fuck the, yeah. re- the reason part of the reason why so much excitement was put around this band is because they were bringing something new and edgy and extreme and like people had never heard before to a landscape that had never heard that and that was really exciting. And to all of us, well, I say to all of us, like to to us lot in particular, we kind of look at Code Orange as being standard bearers for what you can be as a as a kind of um, as a band with create creative integrity and and still have have ambition and want to do bigger things. Um, and it is a shame that they might have made a record that won't let them make that leap. It def- it definitely is, and I com- and I completely hear what you're saying, but. Um, Man, I I think there's moments as well, like Underneath has got such a wicked moment that's going to be um, in in a live set. I think there's a lot of chant moments. I think there are a lot of, um, again, Reba on Autumn and Carbine. Like, give that a slow moment in, in the set and the kind of, the sing-along that Code Orange can now kind of conjure up, the moody sing-along that now exists, that they can drop in three or four songs now from across their photography into they can create such a vibe with those moments like i can't not picture those things improving the live set and everything else but whether that'll help commercially or not the the ride the ride ride symbol on autumn and carb um, and carbine as well like fucking mega like this i like this is not uh, sorry perrin i've just got i've got to kind of get this out of my system i had to wait long enough um (laughs) like (laughs) fucking i would love nothing more than this record to break down commercial barriers right as we stand this is a band that has to get five times as big on spotify to be as big as kill switch engage five times more popular than they currently are right that's the fucking reality of it that's where we are right now as we record this um i would love that to be the case from a from a critical standpoint, which is the only thing that matters, like I think that there is a lot to like about this record, pretty much everything that we've covered. Um, what I also think is that there are bits of this record where there is a bit of overkill going on. I think this band are full of strong characters, right? <laughs> And they are in real need of an editor. Someone to say when too much is too much. Less is more is a saying, right? Not, you know what, this more needs a little more more. 
Um, Shades. I thought the Koran cover was fucking brilliant, right? Sam Law is an incredible writer. Um, And I thought the Koran cover feature was brilliant. But when Shades was speaking, something really popped in my head and also in that interview that you shared yesterday but uh, ryan but i'll come to that in a second but when shades was talking about the making of this album he was like we like worked on this fucking all day every day particularly himself with himself being the more electronically minded guy right yeah and sometimes you can work yourself into such a corner that there are times when restraint is needed with this it's why i think that there is still scope for this band to get better like Mm. chris chris rock does this brilliant sketch about religion in his latest stand-up where he says about he says religion is like salt a little bit of it is good but too much of that shit will fuck up your whole meal and there are times where i find the electronic element it is like insane like there are two songs in particular um erasure scan and back inside the glass where it is like mate chill the fuck out like i'm not saying anyone in this band are on this drug right i am saying if cocaine was a person and made songs it would sound like those (laughs) songs right when noel gallagher made uh be here now for oasis right he was talking about being gacked up to the (coughs) eyeballs And he was saying that if there was a space in sound, he was like, stick a fucking guitar in there, right? And this album does not relent. And that that makes this album a very acquired taste. Now, I am fine with that in the main. I will still confess that the first... (laughs) The first... The first 15, 20 minutes of this record is so excessive that, like, it's a lot for everybody, right? Parent, you can smile all you like. You, The music you sound, you listen to sounds like a chainsaw being put into a pensioner. This but, is But, like, it, you right? hear me, right? Like, I, like I said, from my very first listen to this album, I found this exciting from an extreme standpoint. Um, yeah, and as, as I've my listens have gone on, I have noticed there are so many in the way of vocal hooks. Like there are vocal hooks all over this, but and, and, they are... and reverbs on the drums and fucking effects and backup vocals and extra <laughs> little bits of guitars and 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 and, which I understand. Yeah. I love I love bands that do that. But the reason the downward spiral and the fragile are those records is that there is restraint, and you can like there are layers when there needs to be layers. Not layers on layers on layers. Yeah, I, what I was going to say is that I, I know that there is a disconnect between the music that I like and the music that gets popular. That's as simple as I will put it. No um, shit. I <laughs> found this record. Like those excesses that you're talking about, they're there. I love them. They are part of what make me love this record to this degree. I find it, I love the sensory overload of this. And I don't think it's like, I don't think it's just slapdash or anything like that. I think it is... A v- no, like, not at all. It is really a honed assault of fucking insanity. And I, I adore that. And that, uh, it's still a record that is... is When I put it on, it's, it's punishing in a way that I find just breathlessly exciting. I love it. Um, and I also know 
that like I was saying, those people out there who fought forever was too much. Oh, that my. ain't it's not gonna fucking work <laughs> no, uh, and i so, so from my very right. first listen to this so i knew like that fucking green day next to this yeah i knew that from my very first listen of this that my love of it would not necessitate wider appeal um yeah. and i think it, it's a it's a shitty conversation to have to, to have to have because you know in a perfect world merit breeds success and that kind of thing um kind I think, of sorry to cut you off but do you not when i say I believe that in the future, right, they will under they will get that restraint and they will unpick that lock. This is the first time that they have gone ham on the electronics, yeah. right? So next time around, when I say I believe that the next Code Orange record will be better than this one because of that, do you think I've got a valid point? I agree. I do. Um uh, and I, I, th- I think that there are examples of this record where they do kind of do that, where they, they take the foot off the accelerator a little bit. Um, and you hear those moments where the title track, the very first song that they released, mm. is, especially when it comes at the end of the record and you've been beaten up in the way that you have, um, when that like, dun, 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 like that, like the beat loop that comes in is so like delicately put together um, in a way that sounds perfect. The actual sonics of it are next level. And, and I think that that song in general, you know, the way like we discussed when they released it as a single the chorus isn't like suddenly backed up by super heavy guitars and everything it takes a while for those to come in that song is a hit built on restraint and that is an incredible moment like that i think another one is um uh who i am before the heaviness kicks in again you've got this <laughs> kind go. of like woozy enticing in a quite sinister misleading way kind of feel to it it's, it's like silky smooth um and i think that there are moments of that that really suggest that and i I agree. I think next time around, that might be a uh, more of a characterizing flavor. I don't think that takes away from my the excitement I get from this record, though. I think that that's something that can make their next record better, but makes this record um, exciting in a in a particularly unique way. Where I find that um, because there is so much to unpick in every fucking second, like um, it, there's a kind of it, this is like to, to go back to something we were saying about four years strong of all bands weirdly um it's bizarre that two weeks running we're having records that are actually heavier and more melodic like there are <laughs> I, I don't see the thing I, I i i struggle with saying this is more melodic because if they couldn't sell bleeding in the blur to the masses i i can't see anything on i'm this not equating that i'm not equating amount of melody to amount oh, of okay. success here you're talking right? about uh, like uh improvement on melody no, I'm, I'm talking about the amount of. I'm simply oh, okay. saying yeah, 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 that there are, there are more melodic vocal hooks on this record than there were on Forever. Yeah, We've fair. mentioned so many of them. You know, Underneath, yeah. Autumn and Carbine, uh, Sulfur Surrounding, Easy Way, they're everywhere. Um, but the thing is, is they are, like I was saying, they are kind of surrounded Wrapped by in such insanity. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing that I find exciting. Um, so, sorry, uh, Perrin. Um, just, on, just on the excess stuff, right? So it's really funny to, to like listen to this conversation because... It was when we when we did um, my beautiful Twist, twisted dark fantasy um, by Kanye West when we did a not rock and metal um, one uh, like show show for um, premium. on premium yeah but words eh um, <laughs> it's all right it's been a long week for us all. <laughs> yeah for real um, Perrin listened to that record as someone who doesn't live in that world and went there is so much on this and it is really excessive. Yeah. And that, you know, 
when we're talking about the general list, the general kind of list, and I like that record. To be fair, to clarify, no, 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 absolutely. But like, but but you remember to like being kind of there is a lot on here. There is so much yes going on. It sounds like what it was, which, which was some someone going crazy and writing an opus like at with with kind of at any expense. That's kind of what this feels like in some extent. And hey, comparing a band that uses electronics to Kanye West is not a bad thing here. No. Um, like to speak to speak about them in the same breath. And but but the thing that I do hear in it is the kind of people who aren't in on the Code Orange insanity are going to hear this and go, "What the fuck?" Because even as even as people who are kind of as as close as it gets to people who have studied Code Orange mm-hmm. at this point, the amount that we've had to talk about them, we still all listened to his record and went, "Fuck me, Fuck that it is hell, a lot. yeah, <laughs> yeah." Ryan, right? Can I ask? Can I ask you something? Right, <clears throat> right. Gut instinct. Do you think a band is going to take the principles of what has happened here, make it more palatable for the masses, and run all the way to the bank with it? Yeah, not loose. <laughs> you think? You think that's yeah. what it'll be? Uh, I mean, I think Deeper Shade of Blue is, you know, like, it, it lives on that Code Orange principle, but immediately it's listening I'm, to that. I'm saying all of this, all of the, the, the oh. tricks that we're saying... Yeah, I can't imagine not to lose suddenly no, 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 me hard neither. on the electronics. Me neither, because I do. I, like, uh, there, there is a band that begins with V as an N in the middle and an A, E-I, in the middle. That I think are that's vain, you stoner. Um, <laughs> you I said th- the ends in the middle. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I should have just said it, shouldn't I? Um, you did it in a really weird order, to be fair. I know, I know. Sorry, I was, I was trying. I was trying to be bawdy about it. I should have just words said it. a long week. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I should. I should have just said vain, shouldn't I? Anyway, um, I think bands <laughs> like that that shared a, a bit of forever in that yeah. regards. Um, this is a pioneering record but my heart breaks to even say and i hope i'm wrong man like i would i like i would be fucking delighted for this record to do all of the things that all of the other people are saying right if this album uh, translates to the mainstream if this album makes code orange a domineering force like i am fucking all for it and they have done it on merit and artistic fucking integrity and all of those things and i still think this is a really great record it's really hard coming off the back of forever to talk about this record and like there are albums that i won't say like a negative thing about in a review that i don't like uh, that i don't like anywhere near as much as i like this record yeah because there's simply less talking points on them but the point being that when you say thinners of the herd, when you say leaders of the pack, when you say that, you hold yourself to a higher standard than any band. Any band. They're like outside a clown from Slipknot. Like the type of big brass ball statement that comes out of this band means that that's the standards that they're held to. And I think that as an artistic achievement, bullseye really fucking brilliant record again um is it gonna have more influence than forever is it gonna have the same level of seismic impact 
I question that. I would love to be wrong. Yeah, yeah. I think that um, in regards to where this goes, kind of commercially and stuff like that, I think that obviously rock radio is not going to have like this stuff like stuff like underneath can maybe exist in a similar sphere to bleeding in the blur but like the vast majority of it it will turn people off in the same way forever did and even more so because it is more complex um i i think that there there's a kind of degree of, of code orange uh consciously i, I you know, this is something that they've been speaking about they have to appeal to people whose bread and butter is not purely rock music um and I kind of look to, you know, you said Coachella, that's one crowd, which is maybe not the right one. Um, I would say, like, I am thinking of people who like uh, really cutting edge, bizarre stuff, like uh, in other genres, like clipping or people who like when I, when you look at like how popular like 100 Gex have gotten and stuff like that which is really yeah. fucking yeah. bizarre experimental music i yep. think those are the kind of audiences that this record has to speak to in order to really achieve Do you think um, it does um i will say that i think that screaming is such a fundamental um uh stumbling block for people outside of rock music that likes and i think also think something that i love on this record that again my taste and where this goes differ Jamie's screams on this record are so abrasive and so hard and there's so many kind of like there's this kind of crackly effect on his voice that he sounds like absolutely terrifying on this and I love it I don't think the people who like uh you know that kind of music I'm necessarily referring to will have that and I think that there are there basically there are plenty of stumbling blocks for this um appealing to your average rock fan yeah. and there are plenty of stumbling blocks for for it appealing to people outside of rock music who like kind of experimental music um and i think that it certainly has its work cut out for it in that regard yeah i I think that they could like a lot of bands from our world are kind of on those tours as novelty acts trash talk and turnstile played some dates with suicide boys and denzel curry and all the rest of it i think i'm right in saying turnstile did camp flognor out here as well um but the thought of those people being into it is quite is i don't like this lives alongside something like that last daughter's record like Mm. in terms of like i can see this being acclaimed across the board and if what you want is uh, a handful of people like relatively being super passionate about this record and if that is enough for you fucking great in terms of it being those albums that, like, when, like, you don't need people to fucking tell you. It just happens, right? We've literally just done a special on System of a Down, who went from second from bottom uh, at Reading to second from top, only second to Metallica at Reading in one album cycle, right? When it fucking is the real deal... You don't have to fucking say it, it happens, right? And it being the real deal ain't a bunch of critics that have all got skin in the game saying it. It is fucking mass appeal. That's when it fucking happens. It happened for Slipknot. Slipknot went from nothing to Brixton Academy on that first fucking record. Forget where they went from that. When they arrived, it fucking happened. There it was. And if this Mm. is to be that, right... I will be out flipping cars in celebration 
Right? <laughs> Fucking good luck to them. But I'm sceptical. Is that it? Are we done on this record? Fuck me, we have spoken a long time about it. Anything more to add? Yeah, I guess I would just, I would like to put forward, because we spent a lot of time there talking about where it goes commercially, and it always feels such a, it's a necessary conversation, um, because it is, you know, fundamental to where it goes. Um, but, but it's it also a, a necessary conversation because it's part of Code Orange's narrative. It, precisely, it is completely necessary. Um, but I would just like to reinforce that while I think all of us, even with varying degrees of liking the record, all of us are sceptical of that kind of appeal. Um, I would just like to reinforce that, as always, that and the actual artistic merit of a record are not intrinsically tied all the time. No. Especially, you know, the the examples you're citing there are from a different time. Um, that Those kind of things don't happen to rock bands at the best of times at the moment. Um, I would just say that that and the actual quality of this record are not in tandem. Um, and that despite having very little faith faith in the world, um, I think the album on a purely artistic and, and quality basis is fucking outstanding. Like it might well be my album of the year. Who knows? We'll see what kind of the coming months bring. But it is truly pioneering, innovative, exciting, heavy music. And if that's what you like and you can get down with what they're doing, it will absolutely be one of the most um it will be one of the highlights of the current, you know, the the this year, the years ahead, that kind of thing. It is truly cutting edge music. Yes. Hear here. Sorry, sorry. Just, just quickly. Um, so, like, one thing on the, the I, I think the kind, I think you know, just to play translator between you two on on this conversation, just for a second. Like, I think the, I mentioned early on in this review about um, the kind of Code Orange manif manifesto that has kind of been central to everything. That, you know, like you said, Finners of the Herd, um, Code Orange is forever. This is real now, motherfucker. Turning up to download and saying there's a lot of old on this festival and we're here to get rid of it like that is that's laying out um a hell of a stall and you know it, that is something that them, a lot of... them's fight them's fighting words yeah quite um and, and in that in that interview um that you kind of referenced earlier it was done with ian cohen i think it was for stereo gum or something um stereo gum, yeah yeah jamie gave some incredible quotes um and kind of continued the press tour of the code orange manifesto um and they spoke about you know not being anything like bands like corn or slipknot um in that and the thing is is that i think they are a lot like corn and slipknot in a lot of ways in a completely different era that doesn't give the same um amount of like space for those bands to run and that you know that's mm. why for as much as you can talk about you know we don't want to be anything like those bands Erasure Scan sounds a bit like Eyeless when it opens, you know, like Sulphur sounds a bit like Vermilion. There are moments on this where the thing is, I'm, the sound of this band and Slipknot, whatever, but the, the methodology of violence by the most effective means available is definitely the, the same thing, I think. And I don't think that that will go as far. And when you make it part of the identity of the band to to talk about that, I think that that's where it becomes... A central part of the discussion if you put your like like you kind of said if you put yourself forward um that's going to be the thing and if you read that interview of ian cohen it is interesting to see to see a lot of jamie's quotes um are very very similar to quotes from reviews of this record that that were done very very early on um and i think that there is a lot of there is a lot of 
kind of aggression when it comes to this band either have to be the best or have to be the worst or they have to be commercially viable or they don't or you have to be on board with them or you have to be trying to be like edgy about your opinion on them the thing is we all really like this record fuck yeah yeah and and we all want it to go far like the reason why we're talking about the commerciality of it is because rock music needs a fucking band that is going to be a superstar and code orange felt like they really had that shot and like you're saying, if it happens, it happens. But they have maybe made a record that deprives rock music of that next explosion moment in in their Ooh. band. Uh, yeah, but that's not their responsibility. It's not no, their no, that feels like an awful. Yeah, no, 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 no. Sorry, 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 sorry. No, no, no. I hear what you're saying. I'm I'm not saying at all that like we expect that of them. It's just why it's part of the conversation. Yeah, it's like they. We, we speak about them as standard bearers, scene leaders, the band that everyone else copies, in the same way that we said about Bring Me The Horizon around St. Paternal. Yeah, like, fair. The, and, and Bring Me The Horizon ended up in arenas. We want that for Code Orange. That's why we're talking about it. And this is a better record than anything Bring Me have released in St. Paternal. So um, that, that's yeah, the other side I, of that yeah. conversation. I mean, I would, I, I would have it above maybe anything bring me the horizon have ever done which kind of puts it into wow. perspective i mean I, I know i would as well but i didn't want to yeah. you know, well, I know no, this, this really record is Paterno. this record is fucking great it does i, I go yeah. back to the original point it doesn't have to be the best thing ever and i i, I have every faith that in two years time this band will be looking at this record with a new record in their hands going yeah fair enough right so we've spoken about it for 45 minutes. It is going to be a highlight of this year for both a talking perspective and from a quality perspective. That is the fourth album from Code Orange. Uh, it's called Underneath because if we talk about it anymore, I'm going to lose my fucking mind. And I want to talk about the Body Count album, which is called Carnivore, which contains the single best lyric I have heard in any fucking album in years and years and years which is if you were starving I wouldn't feed you hot shit right <laughs> new body count album is out now that is an excellent I mean come on I applauded my fucking speakers when it came out of it it's not my favourite moment on the album in regards to just like ridiculousness my favourite bit is on uh, the critical break uh, beatdown where and there's a, a breakdown that is ex- uh, accentuated by like cartoonish comic book punching noises. <laughs> yeah, like, like, it's so good. <laughs> Which kind of lays out our stall for this body count album, doesn't it? Um, right, it is body count's first album since 2017's really, really fucking good Bloodlust. Um, We've kind of opened up this fucking discussion in the at the very beginning of this review. It's a lot of fun, isn't it? This album. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Like, I mean, everything from the kind the Ace of Spades cover being as like, yes, Ice T, have the best time doing what you're doing. Like, th- this. So the thing with the thing with Body Count, right, is that I've never been a massive Body Count fan. Like, I've never thought it's outstanding by any means. Do you like Ice T? Kind, kinda. I like what immediately followed Ice Tea. What's your favourite flavour? <laughs> this fucking guy. <laughs> like, <Open goal>. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Ryan, said, bring it back on track. Don't yeah. let him do it. No, 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 no. So, like, you know, we're looking at, we're talking about a record here that does covers all like redone versions of both Colours and Six in the Morning by Ice Tea. 
that are songs that are over 30 years old and the originals of those songs sound over 30 years old so i've never had like a mad amount of reverence for ice tea right mm. but the, the thing the thing with body count is that it's always managed to be both really fun and the furthest thing from lame that you could ever hear which is yeah. not always on the same kind of on the same wavelength like you can't he's, not res- he's you can't not weird... respect him pardon? yeah like, he's this weird spot between when fucking Perrin talks about my name is Funky Joe, like those old <laughs> those old yeah. 80s style rap, and he was the exact middle point between those guys and gangster rap. He's well, Six the... in the Morning is arguably like the first gangster yeah, rap song. It's often it, yeah. kind of cited as being in that position. Yeah, so I think it, it is, you know, he is an essential bridging point. So... Ryan, what you're saying is you look at Ice-T like I look at Iron Maiden. Not into it, but I respect it. Uh, no, because Ice-T's got a better Twitter game. So I yeah, probably true. respect it a little bit more than you it's respect true. Iron Maiden. That tweet about being poisoned by high-velocity lead, uh, lead this week <laughs> is fucking brilliant. <laughs> Uh, it's very in keeping with the narrative of this record. I like the fact that there's a song on this called Bum Rush. I mean, we don't even need to fucking write our punchlines, do we, at times? Yeah, I mean, yeah. the thing is I would say about um, Body Count is I think that's been especially true on these last few records when Body Count have had something of a kind of a creative and, and critical revival where, yeah. like, Manslaughter got a decent amount of kind of, like, attention and then especially the previous one was really fucking great like that is a yeah, great record fun. and yeah and and it got you know the props it deserved as a result and there was like you know there was an amazing performance of them doing black hoodie at the grammys and stuff like that like legit mm. cool things and i think that there's when you say that it's uh, a, a kind of a midpoint between you know quite fun and something else is i would say that body count especially lyrically still relevant like yeah yeah especially when it comes you know it's drawn into kind of attention when he reworks those older songs and stuff and it's like okay these songs are written decades ago and six in the morning can still happen now 30 um, years like yeah like yeah the, it, it was very prominent on bloodlust with songs like you know black hoodie and, and, and no lives matter and stuff like that and it, it continues here there is so much um ice tea sits in a brilliant middle ground between again this kind of entertainer figure and like talking about fucking important shit where you like point the finger when it's one of those um like they're very uh police brutality kind of uh focus tracks and stuff like that that stuff it always ice tea has always got so much like venom and conviction in his voice when he's delivering um that stuff and i think that that is always like you know the bit in bum rush when he talks about there being like no water in flint and stuff like that yeah. like, you know fucking important stuff is being said on body count albums still to this day and it's being delivered in a way where like you know ice too I, I don't know exactly how old he is but he's in his 60s isn't he yeah like, uh, keep talking i'll look it up i think he, i think he's like 62 or something and for him to sound as consistently like charged up as he is i think is, is a 62, real yeah yeah like prop like fucking props to him in terms of being uh, like a, a figure like that it's cool as hell and i think that it always when it it naturally kind of lends itself to like harder aggressive music like this record and uh, like body count sound does it's just always um you always kind of i always come to body count albums expecting it to be quite fun and it is and then i end up being like legitimately kind of invigorated by it in the process 
Yeah, I've got to say as well, like, finger on the pulse, because this is produced by Will Putney, who I think low-key yeah. is doing fucking brilliant stuff mm. all over the place at the moment. Granted, I did not expect Amy Lee from Evanescence to turn <laughs> no, up on this either. record out of absolutely nowhere. That was... Comp- I, like, I didn't know that that was a thing. So when the record yeah. was just playing, I was like... Hold on. Yeah, I, I had the exact same thing. Just I wasn't looking at the track track list while it was playing through, and I heard um, Ice T give a quite touching little speech about um, Nipsey Hussle dying and like being really some like, of the some of the best bits of Ice uh, of Body Count Records are when Ice T will just talk to the audience. Yeah, like for, the beginning yeah. of the Ace of Space cover as well, which he did last time. It's just like it's a kind of moment that you most people you go, why are you doing this? But when it's Ice T, it's like, yeah, go on, Ice. It's like when yeah. Wayne in Wayne's World talks to the camera. <laughs> And, but then he pulls in Amy Lee to be the Faith Evans on on that track, <laughs> and I like I really, really didn't see that coming. Like like one of the <laughs> nothing nothing has kind of brought a smile to my face in this glum week more than thinking of the smile on Perrin's face when he heard Amy Lee come in <laughs> on that track. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So yeah, I mean, uh, like, I, I don't, I don't quite think like the last Body Count record. I was like, this rips, and I listened to it loads. And No Lives Matter, I think, is possibly the best song that Body Count have ever done. Throw mm. Cop Killer into that as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I think this is another good Body Count record. Yeah, it, it's, it's better. It's better than Manslaughter. It's not as good as um, uh, Bloodlust. Yeah, I would also say that it's not got a patch on Bloodlust. I think generally it's a little more... Bloodlust had quite a lot of pace in it, whereas this often sits in a much more kind of bruising, hardcore... Like the, what you were saying about it being produced by Will Putney, there are bits of this record that sound a bit like Knocked Loose. Mm. Like it, like the first track, Carnival, has got these kind of like, you know, panic chords and stuff like that. Um, I love, you know, when Riley comes in on Point the Finger from Power Trip, he sounds like inhumanly savage there, and it's yeah. really, really fucking good. Fired um, up. Yeah, like so. Yeah, this is not as good a record as Bloodlust, but I think it is totally a record of the quality that can continue Body Count's current, like sort of you know revival into a legitimately quite critically beloved and, and popular band, and it's really cool. I also discovered that one of their guitarists is called Juan of the Dead, which <laughs> is is real fucking good. Superb. So there you go. The new Body Count album is out now. It's called Carnivore. Final Ten out of album tens across the board. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, final album this week is something that you brought in last week, Perrin, and I was like, oh, save that, because I think it's really good. Um, it is by a band called Video Nasties. The album is called Dominion. Um, how did you come across Video Nasties? Uh, well, yeah, they are a, a British band, and I had generally kind of, uh, in the, the weeks leading up to this, you know, them dropping singles and stuff like that, I'd seen their name kind of thrown about a little bit and i'd seen it thrown about in association to things that are close to my heart which is metal and horror movies where video nasties are a band consisting of like you know, people who've been in various kind of british bands over the past few years and kind of getting together and basically writing some big old fucking crunchy riffs and attaching it to an aesthetic and you know kind of atmosphere that is so vividly horror movie i mean just to kind of to a little bit of a an idea on the kind of band we're talking about here um Obviously, this album is coming out today as you listen to this, which is Friday the 13th. They are playing a release show uh, the day afterwards. And on the poster, it's like the day after Friday the 13th is Saturday the 14th. So there's like a quite knowing wink when it comes to some of the horror stuff. 
Yeah, that's a movie, isn't it? Saturday the fourteenth. I'm sure it is. I'm, it yeah, is. It's yeah, not an like, original joke. But. No, it's, well, no, 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 no. It's from the eighties. There's an actual. There's a like yeah. a comedy horror movie called Saturday the fourteenth. Like, the only reason that that it's is like, it's like Spy Hard and that, isn't it? Yes, exactly yeah. that kind of thing. <laughs> um, so, uh, like, the reason why I wanted to to kind of point that out is because this is a movie that goes hand in hand with all things that go bump in the night. Yeah, definitely. I think that it, it's musically, it's very like. Um, I would recommend this if you are someone who like if if you're someone who likes uh, heaviness and you don't want code orange inserting a million like fucking like tracks of of just sounds onto every single thing and you just want the riffs to fucking crunch like this is what's got you covered this week i think it doesn't sound like code orange but just in terms of like big thick riffy heaviness this is really fucking satisfying um and i think they use the horror stuff as like you know just little sprinklings of atmosphere and stuff like that where you know in regards to what we were talking about earlier in the questions um there's lots of movie samples and that kind of thing. There's a song called Hanging Tree where the riff is such a fucking monster. Like, it's really satisfying when it comes in. But then you get those little, like, take them to the tree, like the Witchfinder General samples amidst it all that, like, they're, they're kind of... They're thrown about in the right moments of songs just to add little kind of moments of atmosphere and stuff like that. And it just... It really brings you into it. And there are also kind of... Um, when you say, like, you know, things go bump in the night, there are some more spooky musical moments as well. Like, there's a song called... Um, I think it is Drone Eagle, which has a really fun little kind of spooky guitar line that reminds me a little bit of like Tribulation if they were more on a hardcore mm. kick. Yeah, like this is like really good. In terms of riffing, it's really, it's quite good. Like, uh, again, I kind of put it in the same kind of body count thing is that like it's uh, when you consider that we review fucking loads of records every week, like this is better than your average but not the kind of thing that i would necessarily go back to i think the the vocalist being a bit too necro for his own good puts me off a little bit but the riffing i love him uh, of course you do <laughs> but the riffing he sounds a bit like gal so yeah there you go I like the riffing all over this i think is really fucking good yeah there's loads of um uh, you know these are guys who like i said they kind of come from various other bands and they come from bands who are heavier and nastier than video nasties are in terms yeah. of like scuds and production and stuff like that so i think it sounds there's... like it sounds like a bunch of dudes that are on a busman's heavy metal holiday yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but in terms of like you know the kind of riffing we're talking about i think there's a lot of like entombed and stuff like that the first track when it comes in is very like that kind of thick death and roll uh entombed thing which works there's little like you know little kind of uh, sprinklings of carcass and stuff like that. I think that if you like bands like Black Breath and that kind of like hardcore meets death metal, like when it's put into a more 4-4 kind of like head banging kind of um, structure and, and feel to it, it's really, um, I keep coming back to the word satisfying because that's just what this is, where like, you know, some other records might confuse you wildly looking at one in particular that I've already mentioned. Um, this is just one that hits you in the chest in the right kind of way. All right, I think that is quite enough for one week. Right, (laughs) everybody, stay safe. Uh, There will be another podcast coming from us in the coming days. 
about more serious fare. Do let us know what you think of that Code Orange album. I don't even need to ask that. You will indeed let us know exactly what you think about it. It's already going off in the focus group as we record. Uh, so, yeah, we will be back next Friday as long as everyone's still all right. Um with the wild hearts on album club we're going to be looking at the new album from mirka the return of hyborian and some other pretty rad things going on uh don't forget that's not metal.net is the place to go and get your premium specials five pounds a month or 25 pounds a year lads i haven't told you about this um it's a full house on our next premium special and it's going to be on power ballads from all different types <laughs> of genres. Next up, That's Not Metal Premium is the That's Not Metal Premium Power Ballad Special from the worlds of heavy wow. metal. And yes, Perrin, I'm going to ask you what the closest things to power ballads are <laughs> in that mental, mental sphere of music that you oh love so God, dearly. Um, yeah, you can't have... Get stoked. <laughs> yeah, you can't have stripped, raped and strangled. We'll see you next Friday. I, I almost fucking lost it there because every time you say Merca, you say it like Beanie Man. <laughs> no, I know. I know, but it's just, I can't fucking not hear it. <laughs> With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.